The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. At him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you done? What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to them, to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly to not send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to the children's church, please join our volunteers over by the Kids Zone sign. If it's your child's first time in the children's church, please go with them so we can get them checked in. Thank you, Daniel. Good morning. If this is your first time, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Jared. I'm also on staff here at Restoration Southside, and we're delighted to know you and care for you. Uh, so if I haven't met you, I'll be just outside those doors after the service. Please do come by and introduce yourself. We became our own self-governing church on August the 8th. On August 15th, that's seven days, we launched a capital campaign so that we could have raised $4.4 million to buy this facility because it was going up for sale. At different points, I've been told by those who were not here among us that it's too new of a church for us to raise that kind of money, that, that, that we are too young of a church for us to raise that kind of money. And a week ago, we needed $793,000. And look what God did. We just read in the passage, go 
home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Friends, thank you. I am in awe. I mean awe of all that God has done. And not because I'm such a good leader, but we are going to be a church that takes risks and asks Jesus to do big things among us because how dare we watch him do everything that he's just done and then pump the brakes. So friends, buckle your seatbelt. We're going to roll. I also want to thank the session and the care team for their willingness to try something large, as well as Anne Charlotte Hooper and Elizabeth Dyer, Mary Lou Strawbridge, Kyle Delk, Emily Lowe, Brett Robertson, and Ben Hooper, who all contributed significantly to us raising that kind of money. Now, the text. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Well, let's pray and ask God to bless our study of his word this morning. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I thank you and I praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit. We are in awe of all that you have done in our lives, individually, our lives as a church, and even in this last week. God, how dare we look at all that you have done and not go tell our friends. And so we ask that you would cause us to be the church that believes our God is still alive, still moves, still transforms. And pray by your Holy Spirit and by your word that you would be at work on us this morning. We so desperately need it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. There's a movie, also a book, called Silence. Silence. The movie was made in 2016. It's a historical period drama. It's directed by Scorsese. But it's based on the name, the novel named Silence from 1966. It's set in Nagasaki, Japan. In Silence, there's two priests. There's two priests, Catholic priests in 17th century Portugal. And they learn that their third friend, their other priest, has been captured and tortured and subsequently denounced his faith. They vow to go and rescue him. So there's two priests here that their friend has been captured, tortured, and denounced his faith. And they decide they're going to go and rescue him. And so even though others start telling him not to go, not to go, they travel to Japan in search of their friend and to spread the word of God. And there, the two priests who are looking for their friend encounter violence and persecution for their own beliefs, which makes them wonder if their faith is worth all of this. The powerful line from it is this. It's priests giving up their faith because of the violence done to them. I pray, but am I lost? Sorry, I pray, but I am lost. Am I just praying to silence? I pray, but I am lost. Am I just praying to silence? What they're asking is, that: can God actually do anything? Or is this just a game, a spiritual game we play? Can God do anything to set me free from our sin, our addictions? Can God do anything to save my marriage? Can God do anything to bring healing to our disease? Or am I just praying to silence? And Mark 
is going to take his entire book and systematically walk through every facet of life and answer the question, can God do anything? And Mark says, let me show you all that God has done. Let me show you all that God has done. So let's first look at the evil, the damage that this evil has done to this man. Look with me in verses 1 through 5. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. This guy's life has been utterly dominated by evil. It has damaged him so that he's barely human anymore. Now let me give you some context. Jesus is actually in the Gentile land here. That's where it says, the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And we know in part, not just because of that location, but this, this would have been Gentile territory because there's pig farmers. And the Jews were not allowed to engage with, raise, slaughter pigs because they were an unclean animal. And so Jesus has gone over to Gentile territory, which already it's unclean because it's Gentiles. It's unclean because there's pigs there. And then look at this mess of a man He's living in the tombs. He's unclean, not just Gentile, not just living in the land of pigs. He's living in tombs. If you touched a dead body in those days, you were ceremonially unclean. So he is entirely unclean. He's totally out of control. Or better yet, he's totally controlled by evil forces. In fact, one of the commentators I read said it couldn't be bound, he couldn't be bound anymore. That means they used to be able to bind him. The evil is getting worse. It's transforming him even more. Now he can't be bound. The evil is growing in him. The commentary said one evil opens up to another, opens up to another. And I know that when we read things like this, we're so uncomfortable with the idea of demon possession because of the Western culture and it's not how the devil chooses to work in our side of the world. But Jesus was rescuing people from demons constantly. But one of the things we see here is that Jesus has thrown the demon out of one man, but then here when dealing with this guy, it's throwing lots of demons out of one man. But one of the things you're supposed to notice is that this transformation of the man has happened over time. He used to live in the community. And then now he doesn't live in the community. They used to bind him, now they can't bind him. Evil takes over one step at a time. And we won't linger long here, but I want us to, exp want us to realize what that means. What that means is, is that you're not going to wreck your life by one moment on a Tuesday afternoon. 
it's going to come slowly, one decision after another, after another. And there's a new normal, and then after another, and then after another. Evil gets at us slowly, gnawing away at our humanity, our selfishness, our lust, our anger, our resentment, slowly gnawing away at us. I've seen lots of people who's had their lives wrecked by sin that I've met with. And you know what they say almost all the time? I have no idea how I got here. I have no idea how I got here. So what I want you to see here is that sin has this way of seducing us slowly over time. That evil will open us up from one section to another to another. And it slowly erodes our humanity. Oprah once had a series on child predators. And she was interviewing this one man who was trying so badly to fight that urge. So badly to to run from it. And he said every single time he was up for parole, he would go and hurt someone in jail so that they would extend his sentence. Because he knew if he got out, he would run right back to it. And it erodes our sense of our humanity, one decision at a time, one compromise, one changing or lowering the standard. Evil happens to us slowly in one decision at a time. So this is a side point, but I want you to hear it. Careful dabbling with evil. I do it, you do it, but careful dabbling with evil. Nobody ever woke up one day and said, I'm going to be a monster from here on out. It happened one decision at a time. We see the power of Jesus that he can rescue a man from one demon, but this is such a cool story because Legion in Roman terms was 6,000 foot soldiers. Legion in Roman terms was 6,000 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen and other assistants. When you heard Legion in that day, it was like hearing Google. He had a Google worth of demons inside of him. It was was a huge number. And imagine how lost he was. Imagine how overcome with evil. The Bible doesn't say what the psychological experience of this descent this man was. But can you imagine the demon, the evil growing inside of him? I can't change. I'm never going to change. I... I've fallen too far. I'm too messed up. I'm too broken. I'm, I'm never going to get any better. And now look at the evil that I'm doing. And now look, I'm scaring people. And now look, nobody wants me around anymore. And now look, I'm hurting myself. And now look, I live among the tombs. Remember, Jesus was there when this man was created. He was made into the image of God. And think about how far he's fallen from that image And then remember that Jesus is the image of God incarnate. So we have this distorted image of God and the image of God himself. So here's what I would ask you. What damage has evil done to your humanity? What damage has evil done to your humanity? Have you ever wondered, why am I doing this still? Why would I run back to this? 
when I know that I have a God who loves me and people who love me and, and trust me and want relationships with me, why would I give up for this? We're all like that in some measure. It's not just the child predator. It's not just this guy. It's, it's all of us. It's, we want to be rescued and yet we run back to our evil. We dabble in it. We play in it. And we become beast-like. Have you ever thought this? I'm never going to change. I could never be rescued from this. I could never be healed. Friends, let me encourage you. There's a dude who is living in tombs who can't be shackled anymore, who's naked and cuts himself with stones, and no one wants to be around him because he's so damaged. And when Jesus gets a hold of his life, he's sitting there and just wants to be with Jesus. Jesus can change any one of us, no matter what damage evil has done to us. But it's not just that it's done damage to us as individuals. His evil, this evil, has done damage to the entire community. Look in verse 15, sorry, 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to see Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. What? But this guy has so much evil, so much damage done to him that he's a nuisance. People don't want to hear him around town screaming anymore, so they move him out to the tombs. They don't want to see the recklessness that he can do to him, so they chain him up. It's he's bringing sin out of others. This community wants nothing to do with him. This community says, you've got a problem, so you need to get as far away from, excuse me, far away from us as possible. And friends, a gospel community should do the opposite of what this community does. A gospel community says, you have a problem, so do we. You need rescue, so do we. You feel isolated, not anymore. You're with us now. You've got a problem. Well, it's our problem now too. You see, we see exactly what not to be like with this community. This community's become inhuman. If it doesn't help them, they don't want any part in it. And we want to be a different kind of community. One commentator said this man is naked and he's isolated and he's self-destructive. He's alone. And that's what I want you to see with our sin and our evil. Your evil will always lead you to solitary places. Your evil will always lead you to solitary places. Because that's evil and shame's voice can meet you there. It says, don't tell anybody this. Go by yourself and hide this. Keep it from everyone. Go off on your own. Can you imagine what people would do or treat you like if, if, if they knew this? You stay quiet. You stay lonely. Evil isolates us. And the gospel says you're loved, accepted, and forgiven. Come into the light. You're going to be transformed and it's going to take time. Don't go away. Don't go away on your own. We want to be the kind of church 
that says to ourselves, says to each other, says to this city, don't go away on your own. Don't go away on your own. Come into the light. Come into the light. See, evil damages individuals and it damages community and relationships. It's when you can't look your spouse in the eye. It's when you let awkward silence dominate a room with your children, when you just screamed at all of them. Evil wrecks community, and the gospel puts it back together. So you see, evil does dehumanizes individuals, and it damages communities. But let's look at Jesus' liberating power. Jesus' liberating power. Verses 6 through 13. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to himself, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Seems like a waste of bacon to me. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what had happened. They came to see Jesus and saw the demon possessed, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Jesus destroys the evil. This is a man so marred, broken by evil, so dehumanized, so that we honestly can't imagine it in our mind's eye. And Jesus destroys the evil in this man's life. The evil, it, it runs to Jesus, but it's also shrieking in light of him. It's this duality, this sense of that we, we experience this. We want rescue, and yet we want to run back to our little pockets of evil. We want rescue and run back to our pockets of evil. Why kill all the pigs, though? Why kill all the pigs? Sinclair Ferguson says this, that there's good evidence from the text that the man sitting there in his right mind, clothed, and with Jesus about to leave, that the man would have been sitting there thinking, I'm so afraid they'll come back. I'm so afraid those demons will come back and rob me of my humanity again. And so one of the kindnesses we see in the text is that Jesus kills these pigs. It's this, it's this visual way of him showing the man he's rescued. You're safe now. They're never going to hurt you again. It shows his power over the demons. It shows his, the beauty of how much evil has ruined and how much Jesus can bring back and restore. Jesus has power. In Mark 4, the storm is raging. Probably lightning, waves, hard rain. And his disciples, who are experienced sailors, think they're going to drown. And he says, hush. In the, in the text, 
you can tell by the original wording that hush, it doesn't mean like Jesus stands up and says, hey, knock it off. And then the rain kind of slows down and then the clouds kind of part and the waves start easing off. The picture is, is that Jesus goes hush and it goes whoosh, And they're all sitting there terrified. Here, Jesus has, there's these legion of demons inside of him and he says go and it's destroyed it's supposed to it's supposed to give us this growing sense that Jesus has power over evil Jesus has power over people Jesus has power over the storm and I want you to remember that because most of us and I struggle with this too most of us think whatever is bothering us whatever is plaguing us has more power than anything else my selfishness has more power. My struggling finances, that has more power. My addictions, that has more power. My same-sex attraction, that has more power. We think everything has more power than Jesus. And yet we see him speak and stop the storm. We see him speak and send a legion of demons. So Christians, listen to me. Whatever you're struggling with, he can set you free. Part of what we're supposed to understand is this mess is if he can heal this demon-possessed man wrecked by the fall, he can help you too. He's given this man his life back. He's given this man his life back. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Begged him. Can you imagine? The man has been alone for so long and wrecked by evil. And Jesus has made him new. And he just wants to be with Jesus. We're supposed to see in this as Jesus really can change us. You know, right before I preach, I, I often say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. An older pastor uh, who did this job way longer than I did once took me out to breakfast and said, I understand why you say that, and I just encourage you I want you, yes, you are a sinner, but you're also a saint. You've been adopted into God's family. You've been given the Holy Spirit. Yes, you are a sinner, but you're also a saint. And I was like, dude, I've been doing that for too long to stop at this point. But I got his point. Sometimes we in our theological world focus so much on the guilt and the forgiveness and more guilt and more forgiveness that we never stop and realize the conversation has been changed. Now there's going to be transformation. Now you're going to be restored. Yes, we're going to deal with our guilt as we always do and our shame. That's why we confess and hear the assurance of grace. But he's saying, you're going to have a different life if you follow Jesus. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take you about 80 or 90 years. And it's, he's not always going to work on the sin that you want him to in the order that you're asking him to. But you will be changed. And I don't mean on that great day. On that great day, you will be changed, changed. But what I'm saying is that now, in this, in this body, in this moment, you will be changed. Shame keeps saying you're never going to change. You're never going to be any different. Just give up. And the gospel says you will change. The Holy Spirit will work on you. It will transform you. You will look up different. The problem is, is we want that to happen every 24 hours. 
It tends to happen more in five and ten year increments. A bunch of pastors were asked to sum up the Bible in one sentence. Zach Eswine said this, apprenticing with Jesus to become human again. When you begin to follow Jesus, you will begin to become more human than you've ever been. You'll begin to be more compassionate, more gentle, more patient, more loving, more missional. Slowly and over time, but it will happen. The Holy Spirit is the guarantor that if you trust in Jesus, you will be transformed. You just need to hear this. When He grows you in grace, and He does that mostly through suffering, He grows you in grace and He does that mostly through suffering, He isn't torturing you. He isn't picking on you. He isn't messing with you. He isn't teasing you. He is making, what you, were, making you what you were always meant to be. He is making you what you were always meant to be. Martin Luther used to wake up every morning. He was a conflicted guy, had plenty of his own demons. But he used to wake up every morning and say, I'm forgiven. I can change. I'm forgiven. I can change. Now look, I want you to have right expectations that change is slow and two steps forward and one steps back and happens in longer increments of time. But it, if you want to change, you have to believe that it's possible because of God. You have to say, not because of me, but because God does it like this. I can change. I can change. He will change me over time. I can join him in that work. I can change. And lastly, we'll see these different responses to Jesus. Different responses to Jesus. First, look at the people that see Jesus as a threat, 14 through 17. The herdsmen fled and told people in the city and in the country, and people came to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, I told Ben this morning, you can read the Bible again and again and again and then still miss something and then just catch it. It's so deep. There's a dude that screams from the tombs, and cuts himself while he's naked and shrieks. Jesus cleans up, restores, rescues this man, and now the man's sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and then the people are now afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid because he just messed with their economy by sending these pigs into the water. They're afraid because they don't have control over this evil man anymore. They don't have control over Jesus. They want control, and so they just want Jesus gone. They're afraid. And that's what Mark's going to walk us through here. Mark is a study on fear versus faith. Mark is a study on fear versus faith. Remember just the previous chapter? Jesus says, hush, quiet, be still. The wind died down and it was completely calm. And he just said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? 
do you still have no faith? They were terrified. After Jesus rescues them from the storm, and they watch him do it, they were terrified and said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Later in Mark 6, you'll hear, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. In Mark 9, there's this boy who has these seizures and it throws him into the fire and into water often. And Jesus says to the boy's dad, yeah, anything's possible for those who believe. And the, da the dad, in a moment of honesty, says, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. At the end of Mark, Mark 16, 6, it says, don't be alarmed or afraid. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. And you know what the last verse of Mark is? There's other verses in there, but they weren't in the original version. The last verses of Mark is, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Ultimately, Mark and really life is a question of, Am I afraid or do I believe in Jesus? And I'm not saying that even if you believe in Jesus, you won't often be afraid. We see the disciples get that wrong over and over again. But life is this question of, am I afraid? Am I more afraid of the demons? Am I more afraid of the burdens, of the suffering, of the struggle? Am I more afraid of my sin or do I have faith? Faith that Jesus is who he says he does. That Jesus loves sinners. That Jesus justifies the wicked. That Jesus says he will be with us to even to the very end of the age. Life will throw at us every single thing to make us afraid. And Jesus says, have faith. I am who I say I am. I will do what I said I would do. Mark's pressing question is, are you afraid or do you believe? The other thing going on here, the reason that they want him to leave is because he's, he's affected their economy. There's 2,000 pigs that they could sell, and now they can't sell them. Being near Jesus is going to cost you. It's going to cost you. It'll say in Mark 8, and crowd, he called the crowd to him and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save us. So many of us want to follow Jesus, we just don't want it to cost us. Now let me be clear, I'm not talking about cost in the sense of buying or earning your salvation, which is given to you freely as a gift and received in faith. We're saying once we have that, we don't want it to cost us anything else. These townspeople don't want Jesus' presence because it's going to cost them. And we're like that too. We don't want it to cost us. And then that's how the townspeople react. The demons, they're afraid of him, but they're controlled by him. The townspeople, they're afraid of him, don't want him to cost them anything, and they want him to get out. And then you see the demoniac. Remember, this lonely, marred, broken person Look with me in 18 through 20. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, 
but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and he began, began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. A couple of things I want you to see in there. First of all, this is one of the early hints in Mark that we get that Jesus has come not just for Jews, but for the whole world. Remember, we're in Gentile land. Every time we're in Jewish land at this point in Mark, he says, shh, don't tell anybody. I know I just saved you, don't tell anybody because he's on a mission. But when he's in Gentile land, he says, go and tell everybody. Go and tell everybody. We see that Jesus loves and wants rescue. Not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. I want you to see that. But I also want you to see that the, demi- the demoniac wants to be near Jesus. The townspeople say, Jesus, get in your boat and get out of here. And the de- demoniac says, let me go with you. Let me go with you. It's this sense, friends, that I know it's scary to turn your life over to Christ. And maybe your shame or your sin keeps him far away from you. But when Jesus gets near you, all you want to do is be near him. When Jesus gets near you, all you want to be is near him. Christians don't think about it like that. They think you get saved, you get rescued, and then you keep your distance from God. One, because he's annoyed you're still sinning. And two, because you don't want to be near enough for him to change his mind. But the gospel is so powerful, so so glorious, that what it's saying is that once Jesus has rescued you, you're safe with him. That nothing's going to change that. You you, you can come near, you can draw near, you can struggle and get back up, you you can fall and fail, and you're safe with him. When he restores you, you just want to be near him. Sinclair Ferguson says, the text asks the question, do you want to go with Jesus, or do you just want Jesus to go? And I love this. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Everyone marvels. Can you imagine in the marketplace when this dude put together and dressed, but scars on his arms and his legs with his his beard combed and his hair combed and People start to recognize him and say, isn't that the naked guy, the naked crazy guy outside of town who would shriek and cut himself with rocks and stones? And yet this guy goes and starts telling everyone how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marvels. It would have been easy for this guy to brag about what Jesus has done for him. And friends, when we struggle with being missional, I want to say it's because we don't realize how bad off we really were. It's the power is in the message of how broken someone is until they've been restored. And we're so afraid of what they'll think of us in telling them how broken we were that we never get around to it. And Jesus says to us, go tell everyone. Yes, you've been broken. I restore broken people. Yes, you're a mess. So is everybody else. Maybe we don't tell people because we don't understand how deeply the value of it is what we've been given. What if the theme of this church was go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you? 
We'll close here. Tom Wright is comparing the demoniac to Jesus. In other words, what this crazy naked guy outside of town and what Jesus is like. And Tom Wright says this, at the climax, excuse me, at the climax of Mark's story, Jesus himself will end up naked. Isolated. Outside the town. Among the tombs. Shouting incomprehensible things as he is torn apart by the cross. His flesh torn to ribbons by the small stones in the Roman lash. Jesus is coming to share the plight of the people. To let the enemy do its worst to him. To take the full force of evil on himself and let the others go free. Did you hear that? With the demoniac, he, he shouts the evil away. But for you and me, he lets the evil take him down so that it will never touch you. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. Some of us have never encountered Jesus' rescue. We ask that by your Spirit you would startle them with your grace and love. And for many of us, we act more like the townspeople. We're glad you do good stuff every now and then. We just like some distance from you. We pray that you would cause us who have been restored to just want to be near Jesus and just want to go tell all our friends all that the Lord has done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're glad you do good stuff every now and then. We just like some distance from you. We pray that you would cause us who have been restored to just want to be near Jesus and just want to go tell all our friends all that the Lord has done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.